to another podcast hosted by yours truly, Joe Oriani. Again, welcome to Joe Oriani's podcast. I said that three times because I usually have a guest and I don't have one in particular today. I always find it amazing that I find with all my guests I had so far that their lives are very interesting. They volunteered to come on, even though I nagged some a little. Uh, but their life is very interesting and all the details. And some people learn things from other people. Some people don't. I enjoy talking to them. I enjoy learning about them. And I always tell them, just be honest. And I try to dig in where nobody has gone before and see what I can get. Now, with that being said, you can reach me at uh, podcast at yahoo.com or on Twitter, Oriani Joe 3 Now, since it's difficult to get guests, I decided, uh, since I am going to Las Vegas, I'll be in Las Vegas this week when this airs, then I think it's relatively important to have a guest, a very special guest, um, someone who I truly know most about, but who I will give no slack to, and he will answer all the questions I have, whether he likes it or not. So with that in mind, I would like to introduce you to my very next guest. His name is Joe Oriani. Say hi, Joe. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me today. It's such a beautiful day. And I know there's a lot of questions that you want to ask. I know you have a whole book full of them. So we are going to start. We turn it back to your host. Okay, Joe, one of the first questions I have for you, where were you born and, and how was your childhood? And be, be as real as can be, please. Okay, I was born in Jersey City, New Jersey, 1950. Uh, my childhood was that bringing up of a poor family. I had brothers and sisters. I was the oldest. When where we lived was this one place they used to call the ship. It's still there in Jersey City. The big building, apartment building. We lived in apartment 11. And then we moved to Central and Beacon Avenue the rest of my life. Well, the rest of my childhood life. And it was a fun neighborhood. Something was always going on. We'd have fire hydrants open. And the guys in the bar went out and turned them open. So we got some, some relief. In the summer, uh, me and my brother didn't do too many things together. One of the things we did do together, I have to point out, I don't know how old we were, but my father had a car and he never took us anywhere. 
you know, he said, well, I don't have money for gas. Yeah, okay, Dad. So one day, me and my brother Mike decided to help him out. And back then, they didn't lock the gas tanks. So we filled his car up with dirt. We were so proud of that. Hey, Dad. <laughs> Needless to say, it was probably one of the worst things we could have done. One of the worst. I went to a Catholic school, St. Nicholas, Jersey City. Uh, nice school, if you're good. Uh, I had no trouble until like the fourth grade. And my brother Mike had gotten transferred to parochial, uh, public school number six. And I wanted to get out of the Catholic school because the nuns and me half the time didn't see eye to eye because I was lazy. And one, they sent you to church every morning, eight o'clock mass, out you in. They count your head count. And they do it on Sundays, too, back then. So one Sunday, I had 50 cents, and I decided instead of going to church, I was going to take that 50 cents and go to a movie and get a donut. At that time, it was pretty good. And I did that. And sure enough, on Monday morning, I called in front of a class. I'll never forget the sister saying to me, uh, Joseph, why weren't you in class uh, Sunday? Why weren't you in church Sunday? Why weren't you in church Sunday? I said, sister, I said, I went to see a movie and had a donut. I figured I went five or six days last week. I didn't think God would remind me missing one. Needless to say, it was probably the last time I ever had the nerve to say something like that again. Uh, none of you have these, use a, a ruler. Yeah, that thing hurt. Yardstick wasn't too bad because it was three feet. And of course, my parents were called in. But needless to say, I got stuck in the school for a number of years. I got left back twice, so, you know, but they kept saying, well, you're smart. Study, 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 study. I got to eighth grade, seventh grade, I'm sorry. And I was appointed patrol boy captain. I, you know, I don't know what they call it now. I was in charge of school crossing guards. And well, we'd go back to the back of the church about 20 after 8, and we all gathered there, and then we'd have to walk in nice and quietly because mass was still going on. Well, needless to say, the children I was in charge of didn't like to get along too well. And they were fighting and arguing in the back of the church. And eventually we all got thrown off. I think that holds the record in that school to this day. That was a proud moment in my life. I was very happy with that. From there, oh, I was with the Dickinson High School in Jersey City. It's supposed to be the toughest school. <laughs> the toughest school. It was supposed to be the toughest school. But during during that time, I started to drink a little. So my attitude was changing really bad. And I remember uh, the sixth period, it was in the middle of winter, it was a science class. I cut it one day. I hated science. I wasn't going to the room, so I didn't really give a damn. And I knew how to boil water, you just turn on the gas. So one of the things that uh, happened was we're all outside in the back. Everybody had had that break time for lunch. And somebody takes a snowball and they throw it against the school door. Well, this big football player comes out. And he says, the next time one of you son of a bitches throw a 
snowball at this dog and it kicked their ass. He went back inside. Somebody, not me, was brave enough to pick up a snowball and throw it at again. Well, when he come out, it was dead quiet. It was like the night before Christmas. Couldn't hear a thing. But then the next thing you know, I was laughing so hard because I thought that was hysterically funny, all these tough guys against one guy. Well, needless to say, he walked out and beat my ass. So that was another good fun time at school. As far as the home front goes, it was like everything else back then. Uh, we didn't call the way we were raised child abuse. We were called being disciplined. If you lied to your parents back then, or us anyway in particular, he put, my father put your hands over hot flame. And then when the belt came out, that really hurt. I remember one time, I don't know how old I was, 11, 12. We had no money. He gave me, a, I think it was a $10 car payment. I stuck it in the envelope, stuck it back in my pocket, and off I went to make the payment. And along the way, I had to stop at the gas station. I had to use the toilet. Well, I guess the envelope fed in my pocket. I didn't realize it. So I went back home and said, sorry, Dad. I said, I had it in my hand. I lied. I said, I had it in my hand, and the wind blew it out. And I didn't want to run across the highway to get it and get killed. I probably would have been better off getting killed that day because I got the beating of a lifetime. That was I had a school for a few days after that. Uh, but I believe I was the last child he ever hit again because he almost killed me. So I wonder if my brothers and sisters probably deserved a few more for that anyway. So that is the story of my childhood uh, because at that point, my whole life changed. Now, Joe, I hope you're telling us the truth about everything here. I know you might be. I just have a good hunch feeling you might be. But I don't want you to exaggerate, and I always want the truth on these interviews. Now, so you, you went through grammar school. Apparently, you came out a little screwed up. Not too bad. Now, what did you do from there? Well, yeah, everything I'm telling you is the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. And the stories you're about to hear, I could take the fifth in a court of law, but I'm not going to. Anyway, I decided to join the Army at 17. I wanted to get away. I wanted to run away. Just couldn't deal with stuff. Uh, I had got thrown out of Dickinson High School. Gee, I remember that. We had this guy who was in charge of discipline called Superman because he looked just like Clark Kent. So anyway, I got out of there and I decided to join the Army. I went to Fort Dix, New Jersey. It's funny, when I was enlisted, I remember being in Newark, and back then they had the draft, and they had the Vietnam War was raging, and people say, uh, well, how many people here volunteered? And I think three of us raised our hand. And we got called all kinds of names, idiots, assholes, you But I wanted to go. Went to Fort Dix, did my training. Uh, one thing I will say about Fort Dix, I didn't know there was so much sand in the world. That New Jersey had that much sand because I puked it up my first weekend on out. It was oh, disgusting. Anyway, after that, I decided to go to, oh, they sent me to Fort Leonard, Missouri for AIT. And we had a weekend. It was a Friday. And they said to me, take the compass, take the group out. Here's the road I want you to take. Take them through the woods a little bit. And when you come back, you all can get out of here. Well, we're thinking it's like a 20-minute trip. Uh three and a half hours or four hours later, because I got them all lost, 
we finally got out of that. I don't think my uh, leadership skills were proven at that point. Then I went to Fort Rucker, Alabama, which in itself, the story starts to get really bad. Downhill from there, if you must say. I decided that, well, they decided I, I was, I was going to be uh, air traffic controller. Imagine that. I was already drinking pretty good. And I went to Fort Rutgers, Alabama. And I remember I had a lot of friends down there that were Mexican-American. And we go over to the club at night. Now, I never drank tequila before. It was happy hour. Drinks were $10 a shot. This, by the way, was my next to last night there because at that point I was going somewhere else, which I'll get into in a minute. But it was $10 a shot, so I ordered 40 shots, $4. And I started to drink it and drink it. I was watching my friends get up in their stack or in that pool. I'm like, what is wrong with you people? You drank this stuff before. What the hell is the matter? Can't you handle your liquor? Well, finally, I was told. When I got up, I staggered to the door. I got to a wide open field and walked, actually crawled across it. I love them fields. When I got to the barracks, from what I'm told is I remember nothing. I guess I, the guys were, some guys were sitting around on the lockers watching TV and I had to pee and I peed on somebody's back. Well, next day he said that to me. I said, well, why didn't you hit me? He said, I should have. I said, well, you're not going to do it now. You should have done it last night. I wouldn't have felt the damn thing. But at that point in my life, I had no regrets, no remorse, no, no sense of shame. And it was to go downhill. So we got to get to interesting territory. Okay, Trump, did you really do all that? Yes, I did. And then some. So, yeah, it, it's... Anyway, yes, I, I, I heard he did all that. I'm a witness to everything that he's saying. So from one Joe to another Joe, that man is not lying. All right, so now you said that you were, life was about to get interesting. What happened? Well, Joe, at that point, I volunteered to go to Japan for two years. I re-enlisted. And when I got to Japan, believe it or not, it was the first time I was overseas. I had the greatest two years of my life. 18 months, actually. Uh, I met a lot of really great people. I'd go to Tokyo every night and get on a train. Uh, a lot of my friends in Tokyo, believe it or not, were all hookers. And I didn't pay for anything. Just I didn't get anything. I didn't want anything. All I had to do was sign them in every day into the Stars and Stripes Club and every night. And they would go up and they'd give me money things. they pick up their own whatever they were doing. And I'm not going to argue with that. I felt like a cheap pimp. Anyway, I wound up having, uh, getting into a lot of trouble there because I was really, criminal investigation division was looking at things and I'm like, oh man, I got trouble. But anyway, uh, they called me in and I said, Nothing's going on here. Nothing, nothing. What happened was I had met one hooker, and she owned a bar further up north. And she said, come on, Joseph, come on up for the weekend. Okay. We go up there. 
And I just remember being behind a bar saying, Kompai, Kompai, just down the shots at the shop and all these Japanese people. And then she said, well, you got to go. I'll get you a cab and take you back to base. Uh, all I remember is leaning forward and saying, I don't want to go. And I remember my hands outstretched like that. As the story goes, because I don't remember it. As the story goes, uh, the police, the Japanese police were called. They found me out out in the fields, <laughs> crawling around. They said, what are you doing? I told them I was looking for a cow. And then I remember snapping out of it for a minute and shaking jail bars. Finally, they transferred me over. Now, the next day, all I remember is trying to grab the girl like that. I guess I was falling. And I went over to the criminal investigation department. And I said, I want to <laughs> I want to report a murder. <laughs> and I, I told them the story and they just looked at me to shook their head and laughed. And that was that. But Japan was an interesting experience to say the least. Uh, my drinking progressed and met, uh, hung out with some bands in Tokyo. Didn't know that Philippines put chicken heads in the soup. All these little things that I learned. I learned about all kinds of different people, all kinds of things, Japanese mafia. All, all kinds of fun stuff. And I am not going to exaggerate when I tell you after 18 months, I volunteered to go to Vietnam. And the reason I volunteered to go to Vietnam, because believe it or not, and I say this with all honesty, Vietnam was the safest place in the world for me. And then I left. Now, I get to Vietnam, I spent one year and three days. Uh, funny thing about Vietnam, you're doing drugs now, you're drinking. They gave me a job as a driver. Now, that's not, doesn't sound bad at all, does it? But my job was to pick up secret messages and top secret messages at 4th Corps headquarters, the base, when I was stationed down in Bantui. That was a good, maybe hour ride up to town. Now, it wouldn't be bad, except every night you count the bullet hose in the truck when you came back. I had somebody with an M16 machine gun riding a shotgun, so fire back. It was like going through a gauntlet every night. Even even the stupid uh, Coast Guard ended up doing night, seeing the headlights and just playing around, shooting all the mortar or two. So it was never fun, and you're always scared. What bothered me the most was, since I had top secret with crypto access some idiot gave it to me in the shape I was in it was really bad when I open up the messages and read because I'm nosy son of a bitch I'm risking my life let me see what we got I opened it up and said oh the colonel's furniture will be here a couple days what top secret oh they're gonna have the Christmas ceasefire top secret it's on the radio hello it was on a radio the other day uh, so all those things really just pissed me off, and I always felt like somebody was trying to get me killed. But but my I'll never forget, by the way, I'll never forget my first night. I have I had stopped broken hour to go to training. I never heard a real incoming mortar other than that. The first night I slept in a tent on base because I had to be I want to be accessible. It was me and two other guys. It was a big huge tent, six-man tent, but there's three of us. And I didn't want to disturb people, I didn't want to be disturbed. There were barracks. I didn't want to choose. I didn't choose those. But we were right next to a 
bunker. My first night, I put my head on my pillow. And I heard that mortar before it even hit the ground. And before it hit the ground, I was in that bunker. So that's how scary it was. But I will tell you one thing. One of the, one of the funny incidents was one time uh, we're all sitting in the club drinking. I'll never forget it was Miller Light. I would never drink Miller Light after that again because it was all piss warm. It was Miller Light. Everybody's there having a good time. And the mortar started to come in. And what was so funny, I was, I was one of the last ones to leave. And I turned around and looked at the tables. There wasn't a full beer on the table. Everybody took that damn beer with them when they ran. Now that, my friend, is so funny. Anyway, I finally got out of there. One year, three days. Because according to VA, no mortars fell. And according to VA, I was they screwed up my time. VA just sucks. Anyway, I got an Army Commendation Medal when I was there. I don't know what for, but I'm very proud of that for doing something. Uh, I have a few medals in Vietnam. Now, I go home, I go to Port Knox, Kentucky. The home of the tank. And all you do is clean tanks, you know, especially me. And I got tired of it. But one thing that was worse is I didn't have a car. And it was in a dry county. Now we're in trouble. So to get to a club, you had to usually hitch a ride. So I had to hitch a ride, you know, a bunch of us back and forth to this one particular bar we liked. One night, me and my friend are coming back. Pull up drunk, as usual. The car pulls over and said, you need to ride back to the base? There were four guys in the car. Sure, why not? Guy says to me, you get in the middle of the front, you get in the middle of the back. Oh, I got in the middle of the back. He got in the middle of the front. I'm sorry. And as we drive, and we drive a few minutes, all of a sudden, they pull over the car in this dark spot. And a guy pulls out a knife and puts it to my friend's neck in the front. And he says, give me your money. I'm like, what? So my friend gives him his wallet, and they throw him out. And then they move up a little bit more. Still got the knife to my throat. And they say to me, give me a wallet. I don't have a wallet. I don't have anything. I got about $2. So they took the $2. They did check my back pocket for a wallet. Luckily, I had my wallet in my front pocket. They didn't bother checking the stupid bastards. And they say, get out. I said, well, wait a minute. You just robbed us. At least you can do is take me back to the base. But nope, made me jump in the ditch. A couple of months later, I seen the same guys and he recognized me and he walked up to me and we were in a, like a bar restaurant and the bar was up on top and it went like this and down below here was tails like you see in the movies and right here was a cigarette machine with a rail and he just did not like me he says to me listen he says let's go outside I'm going to kick your ass I'm like look you stupid son of a bitch. You think I'm dumb enough to go outside with you and your friends? Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh I said, if you're going to hit me now, you, if you're going to hit me, you hit me right now. Well, lo and behold, he hit me right then and there, and I went flying over a couple tables. My friends had to break it all up. I went flying just over people's dinner. <laughs> I kind of felt sorry for him the next day. But... At that point, I decided I had enough. 
I knew I was drinking too much. I knew I was out of control. So I decided to go to Mount Carmel Guild in, in, in New Jersey. It's a halfway house for drug addicts, alcoholics. I spent 18 months there, sober, clean as over. I learned a lot, learned a lot about myself, but I didn't learn enough. I had gone home for a weekend and I was at my mother's house and right across the street was the bar, was the, one of my biggest problems. And outside they're having a fight and I'm looking out the window and all in my, I had so many excuses coming my way then, but I remember thinking to myself, oh gee, look what you're missing. And needless to say, I went back to drinking, which became very worse because then I started doing a lot of cocaine. The guy who owned a bar, one of the owners, was a dealer. And we had some amazing adventures, <laughs> say the least. Uh, but he eventually got busted, but I had gotten sober by then. But, you know, it was like, it was like a zoo in there. There was coke on a bar. You walk around, suck that up because that was your tip or any money you can get. And I remember this one guy who was about six feet, something, six, two, six, three. He didn't like me. I don't know why. I'm such a lovable person. Maybe because I used to cut him off a lot because he was a jackass. But anyway, he walks into the bar, he sits down. I give him his drink. I give the guy next to him a drink. And the guy next to him knew me. Walked in the side and says, Joe. So and so that now before I I gotta preface this by saying we had just put a big thick wooden door in the front because he got busted. The side door is still the same old door. So anyway, he says, I got something to tell you. So what's that? He said, So and so here born in the gun, he's gonna kill you. Okay. Ain't the first time. So I served my rest of my guests, customers, guests at Disney. Rest of my customers. And I went around, went inside him. I said, I hear you have a gun. Are you going to shoot me? Let me see it. So he takes it out. I grabbed the gun. I grabbed the gun. Sorry about that. Grabbed the gun out of his hand. I take him by the back of his shirt because he's too tall to do anything else for it. The bottom of his pants. And just like in the movies, I take him and I bring him up to the front. And I throw him out the door. Only problem was I didn't open it, and there was a new one, solid. So then I took the gun and I disposed of it. Never seen him again. I ain't the first time somebody threatened me with a gun to my face, and it wasn't going to be the last time. I'm so lucky like that. And I think the reason they don't pull the trigger on me because I don't care. Anyway, after that, uh, things went downhill. And I had gotten married to my ex-wife, Betty. And it was coke heaven because the best man at my wedding was my drug dealer, Tony. He was, he was, he was it. I mean, he always supplied coke, coke, coke. I lived upstairs from him and he lived downstairs. There were parties and coke, cocoa, all kinds of good stuff. And at my wedding, I can tell you, I don't think anybody realized how much drugs was in there. And there was a lot of it. We'd go in the kitchen, snort some, come back out, go in the kitchen, snort some, come back out. Anyway, 
about a month after we got married, he and my wife were having a big fight. And I remember drinking a can, a big can, 16-ounce can of beer. And I had a bottle of blackberry brandy. Now, blackberry brandy makes me very nasty. I don't touch it anymore. Well, I don't touch nothing no more. And I'm sitting here, we're having an argument. And she goes, well, I'm going to visit my friend. Fuck out, go. Got to cut that part out. I said, go, go ahead. Have a good time. So after she left, I was sitting there feeling sorry for myself. It was March 3rd, 1983, yeah, 81. So I don't remember the exact year, but it's been 47 years. Uh, close to it. And she left and went to a friend's. I was sitting there feeling sorry for myself. I said, you know what? Nobody likes me. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. So I'm going to fix all them asses. I figured out when, if I kill myself, they'll be sorry the next day and they'll treat me better. <laughs> Good logic, isn't it? So I decided to go out to the kitchen. I go in the kitchen drawer. I take out the electric knife. I put it to my wrist and I pulled the trigger. But I was so freaking drunk, I didn't plug it in. I was so mad at myself, I'm like, this ain't gonna work. It took me a few minutes, but I took my bottle of brandy, walked five blocks down to a hospital that had a psych unit. And as I was going down there, it started to snow. I felt a sense of relief because I knew this was it. Uh, and the brandy, when I got there, they took it away from me and I felt like I was losing my best friend. A couple of days later, while I'm in a psych ward, my mother visited me and a couple other people, and the drug dealer calls me up, Tony, and he says to me, what are you doing in a psych ward? What are you, crazy? I'm like, Tony, really? That's what you got to say? <laughs> oh, Anyway, after I come out a month later, my wife got sober, ex-wife got sober too, so it worked, worked out okay. We moved to Pennsylvania. Um, I worked in Burger King all them things throughout the year, so it was easy to get a job. Assistant manager, manager, it didn't matter. I also became a district manager for one very thing. Then I got a job working for Mrs. Seals, La Petite Lingerie. I got to travel. Um, I had four stores, Philadelphia, Staten Island. Uh, there's another one somewhere else. But anyway, while they're doing that, uh, until one day I decided to tell them to go screw themselves. And that was the end of that job. My bad. Went to Utah. And couldn't even breathe out there. Park City, Utah is where they were located. Every feels. Nice person, but the rest of the crew was weird. But needless to say, lost that job. Found another job. I decided then at that point to open up my own restaurant. So I opened up Genesis. Didn't cost me much to open it, but it was a bar and liquor. A bar and restaurant. I fixed it up, got the license, the liquor license in Pennsylvania. I still didn't drink them, haven't drank since then. And I had a band, I made a mistake. I had a band every night, and that, that kind of wiped me out. But then my ex-wife didn't like the idea I had a bar, but I wasn't drinking, I was making money. And she didn't like it. So you know, well, screw this stuff. And 
she was getting nastier and nastier. But I won't get into all them details because it's her side, my side, and the truth. And we were going to go for a divorce. So I sold the bar, the restaurant. Went back to New Jersey. Got a place, uh, got to work in a place called Turkey Turkey. Uh, they made turkey. Fresh turkeys, everyone. Left there, and I had met somebody in the Poconos who was a real estate broker. And I said, oh, well, you know what? Maybe I could just go ahead and get my real estate license. And she said, no. She said, you got to really study. The book is about that thick, which it was. And nobody passes the test the first time. I studied the test in between, kind of glancing through the pages, went and I took the test in Pennsylvania, and I passed the first time. I was twiddling my pencil around, I don't know what else to do. Tests seem easy. It was just common sense stuff. Like how much is two and two? Well, four. Let's, you got modern math now, two and two is five and a half. But I digress. Turkey, turkey wasn't working out because it was a long drive. So I decided to go ahead and stay in the Poconos because I had a house there, a small house, and be a real estate agent. But then I used to watch the people who did the mortgages. I'm like, my God, they're making any money hand over foot, and I'm the one doing all the work. So I wanted to become a loan officer. Didn't get a job doing that. But then one day I got a call from somebody who owned the mortgage company and said, would you like to take over our business for $32,000? Sure. And I'd pay them off in incremental payments. And I did quite well with it. And I said, why are you doing this? Well, we know you're a hard worker, blah, 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 blah. All right, fine. Just want to pay money. So I did that. And I stayed there to 2001. And I had my, my present wife uh, just before that. In two, 1999, I got married in 2000. Don't tell I didn't say I remember. Because that killed me. But anyway... What happened was at that point, I turned around and 9-11 was happening. I decided, you know what, the stock market's going to crash. It was about to crash because we're giving away all these free houses, all these free mortgages. And I was the type of guy, if you didn't have any money, don't worry about it. If credit was bad, don't worry about it. It's in. Uh, and the banks were cooperating. So I decided to move. But... Before I moved, I sold the business, and I wanted to go someplace where there was no people. At that point, I actually hated people. I hated being around people. Still do, believe it or not. But anyway, we picked Arkansas. I don't know why. It was a middle country. It was God's country, for sure. And we picked three places uh Looking around, we picked up three places. We stopped in Meadville or Maidville, I think it is, and looked at a farm. I wanted a chicken farm. But when I walked in and see 3,000 chickens staring at you, I'm like, no, nah, they're all taking a dump. I'm out of here. Then we went to Boonville, and I met a realtor, and I told her I want to be in the country. She goes, okay. So she takes me around town, like a little couple side roads, and say, here, how's I said, I want to be in the country. I want to be far away. So she took me and showed me this house that we've seen. It was in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by hundreds of acres that people had. We had, they offered us 20 acres 
and it was overlooking the hill that you see for five miles told. And we came back, packed up our stuff, and headed back out there. And the thing I loved about Arkansas was, A, the people were very nice, believe it or not. Even though I was a damn Yankee. Now, the difference between the damn Yankee and the Yankee, a damn Yankee stayed. And I didn't know this. I remember driving around, got a pickup truck, little green thing, Dodge, used. And people would go by, and I'd see them go like this. <laughs> Now I'm from Northeast, so I thought they were giving me a finger. So I was giving the middle finger back. My neighbor said, Joe, you keep doing that, you're getting yourself shot. But anyway, so we wound up raising some cows and chickens and sheep. Oh, what else? Sheep, chickens, cows, that was not. And it's interesting, just coming from the city, all I knew about a cow is it jumped over the moon, the sheep you count at night, and the chicken you put on a loaf of bread. And then I got, had to get used to the scorpions. Right around September, they were really bad, no matter how bad you sprayed. They got in the house. And then you had the centipedes. Then you had the coyotes. Then you had things eating your cats. Um, all kinds of good stuff. <laughs> Built near meow one day outside the thing, and you find out it's a bobcat. So anyway, that was that. But after about seven years, I learned how to shoot better. I learned how to put up barbed wire fence and work with barbed wire, all those things that I'd never done before. And it was good. We had our own little garden, grew some of our own stuff. We decided we had to move only because my wife's job was requiring high speed and a lot of people were requiring high speed internet and we were, where we were at that point they didn't even have running water we had to use a well uh, well water and the well half the time it didn't work so you had to go out and play with it and and the internet you had it was all dial up and stuff like that so i made a deal since we had all our grandkids up in pennsylvania new jersey i told my wife i never forget it was like December 24th or something like that. I don't know what it was. I said to her, listen, if we, I listened to house with someone else, but it didn't sell. So right around now, I said, listen, we're really going to push. I said, right end of December, I said, here's the deal. If we sell the house before April 15th, I'm not going up in that cold. We're going to, we're going to Florida. We're going to Florida. I said, if we sell it after April 15th, we'll go up north, Pennsylvania. Well, I gave it to this lady who's a broker. I'm not going to mention the name. She's real pissy. And she listed it, and it was sold within one day of cash. I told her I knew that because she was a greedy bitch, and she could do that. I thought she was going to fall on a floor because she was very, uh, how would I say, religious. Used to pray at lunchtime. Anyway, we sold it. I came down to Florida. I had three days to find a house. My wife says, don't pick the most expensive one. Yeah, sure. So I picked the most expensive one. But then the housing market hasn't crashed yet. So I paid $179,000 for the house. We moved down here. Uh, a couple months later, market falls to hell in a handbasket. At least now it's worth 300 something thousand, so we're getting our money back. 
But I was home with a lot of years doing nothing when I was here. I got bored. I needed to do something. I have this built-in energy. So I decided to get a job at Disney, which in itself was fun. I went to work at Sunset Market at Disney. It was food. I wound up giving half the food away because you couldn't find anybody to help you fix the register. And coordinators were never there. Leaders were never there. And I can't take the chicken. Uh, but I had a lot of fun when I was there, too. Then I transferred over to Dinosaur the Ride, the attractions. Mm. The only incident there was one time me and this girl, Elizabeth, we don't know what happened. They say it was us, but we're not too sure. One of the carts went by us. We hit go, and the maintenance bay door opened up, and the people were in the, in the maintenance bay, and the door closed. Me and her looking on the monitor. We were laughing on our rear end, and unfortunately, somebody was watching. We got written up for it, but we swear it was not us, and it wasn't. So anyway, uh, I decided to leave there after a while because Legoland was hiring, and Legoland is here in Winter Haven. And I figured, why do I have to drive? And they made me promises they weren't going to keep. Talking about advancement, et cetera, et cetera. So when I got to Legoland, I worked attractions. You know, get a safety violation. You train, you train, do it. I got on this ride jalous with the kids, but I want turned into horse racing all the time. Like, they're off, they're going to Anyway, uh, the parents loved it. Kids thought it was exciting because they had no idea what the hell I was talking about. They should have never gave me a microphone, even, even on the other rides. Uh, after a year of knowing that promotion was not going to be given or worked for or an opportunity, more uh, like friends, uh, I had a condition, a physical condition, and so it didn't work out. Okay? Leave it at that. I left there and went back to Disney. And I wound up play, working in a place called Pizza Resource. Pizza Place. With uh, Muppet Theme. There's other rats. It was a lot of fun. It was before COVID. We'd had the registers at Christmas time, all the registers over and places full. And I walk in there and start singing jingle bells and all this stuff. And only one or two people would tell me to be quiet, and I would just laugh at them. And the more they told me to be quiet, the more I laughed. Because my job was to make magical moments. And I did. I did my best. Finally, COVID hit. And, and since I was only part-time back then, they fired all the part-timers. Part-timers. They got rid of all of us. A year to the day of March 15th, I hired us back, but this time I decided to come back as full time. I came back as full time. I figured I could do it for another couple of years, but A, the traffic, and B, management was, at that time was not conducive to me. I don't have to be conducive to that. I would ask for a job as a trainer. Well, first of all, I was never late, never called out, never called out sick. Worked overtime when I had to. Even when I didn't, I'd stay if they asked me to. I'd start early if they asked me to. I'd do whatever they asked. Maybe not always perfect, but the second time it was. But I was told because the way I talk to people, because I'm very direct, it wouldn't be good for training. Yet, 
I proved to them that during times that I did train people that wanted help or look, like learn dishes or do things like that, I was perfect. Matter of fact, I had cast members send out recognitions to me for saying how well I trained them, how thorough I trained them, all this stuff. I'm like, okay, you know what? Fine. Maybe you have a point. Maybe I come across a little tough. So anyway, I said, give me a month or two. Not the two goodbye. They said, well, that's a great improvement. Now I want to be a trainer. Nope. Nope. Okay. You know what? I'm retiring. End of June. I'm out of here. There's no advancement. There's no, no appreciation of your work. If I knew what I knew now, I wouldn't have done that because there's a new property manager who hopefully will straighten things out there. Uh, so anyway, I left. But after sitting over three weeks, I decided, you know, I'm bored. Why you gotta go? So I went back part time, and this time I went to as a cedar at Sci Fi. Now, anybody who's been to the Sci Fi restaurant in Disney knows it's dark. The one of the hardest things I had was I would wind up sometimes transposing a number, so I put them in the wrong DMC. But I called in the office, told to take care of that. Okay, took care of it. Didn't do it anymore. <laughs> It was a, a, a supposedly counseling. But, of course, I got thrown up to me because I don't think the leader liked me anyway. Oh, it's a 90-day probation. I would sing Jingle Bells with the guests outside. I would get the cast laughing. I would get people laughing. I worked at Tap House. We'd get them all, all going because I enjoyed being with people at that point. And as I liked them, I just enjoyed being with them. One day, this particular leader was working, and I almost, and I'm going to specify this because it's a fact, I almost missed a couple of seats. Almost, but I caught it. And I called in the office right after singing Jingle Bells outside, and she said to me, we decided that you're not a fit. I'm going to let you go. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever, turn you on. I was going to retire October 8th. You know what? Now it's a click on But I think about that now, and I think, you know what? You had the tap house, which was part of your sci-fi. Outside bus and tables, I could have done that. Could have put me any place. But it wasn't to be. So needless to say, here I am. I have decided that now I'm bowling two days a week, sometimes three. I decided... Uh, I'm probably into January after my I got a cruise coming up and then another cruise coming up. The holidays coming up and I have something to do in January for 10 days. I have decided that I will probably apply back to Disney. However, it's going to be very different this time. I am going to apply for a spot that I want. I want to, I want to go where I want to go. If you don't want to put me there, I'm not keep your job. Really simple. So that is the story of uh my life to this point. I uh, hope you enjoyed it because it was all true. Now I'm going to turn it over to your host who's just sitting there very quietly, not saying much of anything. Uh, you still here, Joe? Yes, he is. Hold on. Okay. I want to thank my guest for that. That was very enlightening. Um, but I think everything he said is true. I know that for a fact. There's a lot he didn't tell you. Like the time he 
talks to people about wanting something on his bucket list about finding a dead body. But when he's in Vietnam, he happened, he was driving a two and a half ton truck down a road and he looked over and there was a body on one side and the head was on the other. So there you go, there's your dead body. But anyway, that is it for this week. I am hoping to find people to put on the interview because like I said, you all have very, very interesting stories and it's good to share. You may not believe that, but if you don't believe yourself that important, I don't know what to tell you. Because each and every one of you are important and each and every one of you have a story. No matter how unique, it's all unique. And people need to hear it. They need to learn from it. They need to understand what mistakes you made, what things you did right. People won't grow without it. If not, you're going to get stuck with me every week talking about I don't know, politics, everything but abortion. And hopefully I get some questions and answers on my email, which again is Joe Oriani, O-R-I-A-N-I, podcast at yahoo.com. And again, remember, if you are not laughing, you are not living. I'll see you when I get back from Vegas, baby. (laughs) 